you and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number two underway on this Tuesday, and you know what hour two means on a Tuesday. It's our favorite hour of the week because it's cursing hour. Ooh, look what I did there. I like that. The cursing hour hour is the cursing hour. I just made that up, and that's pretty much outstanding, as is our regular Tuesday guest. Peter Kersenow, of course, is a member, the longest-serving member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights, in addition to being a full-time partner in his law firm in Cleveland, in addition to being a uh, best-selling author, he is also a columnist, a sometimes law professor, and the all-the-time host of the Kersenow Report, right here on AM 1420, The Answer. Peter Kersenow, good to have you back, my friend. How are you this morning? Thanks very much, Bob. Uh, doing great as usual. All right, Pete, we have a lot of... Uh... <laughs> A lot of topics to work our way through here. We never get through them all because we always have far more. We always try to jam 20 pounds into a 10-pound sack, if you will. Uh, but let's do our best. And I want to start with, and I really feel badly that I haven't talked to Michelle Malkin in a while. We're going to reach out to her to try to get around to talk about this personally. But meantime, I want you to talk about her. If you have not seen what happened, Michelle Malkin has been banned uh, from she not just she not just herself but she and her family have been banned by the uh, travel accommodation company Airbnb. Uh, Airbnb is a pretty well known and and well utilized uh, uh, organization that provides shared uh, living living spaces rather with renters that are a lot cheaper than hotels, oftentimes a lot more comfortable and so forth. But she is no longer, and nor is her husband, allowed to use Airbnb centers, and the reason why is because she gave a speech that has been deemed a hate group by your friends, Peter Kersenow, at the SPLC, the Southern Poverty <laughs> Law Center. Um, so she's been bare, and she tweeted this out. She's been uh, banned by Airbnb. She tweeted this on, uh, well, this is a week ago, actually. It was on the 2nd, so just about a week ago. She said, I've been banned by Airbnb along with my husband as retaliation for my free speech and my hashtag America First journalism. It's insane and un-American, and I could use your help in fighting back. Stay tuned. She went on to say, the twist in my case is that Airbnb is going after my husband simply for being married to me. He gave no, and it's true, he gave no speeches. He's just married to her. She said, are my kids next? How about other America First families? Anti-COVID tyranny spouses and their kids? Where does this stop? Now, she went on in a full-on tweet storm about this, but Peter Kersenow, we can stop with just the fact that she gave a speech in support of freedom to an organization that the SPLC hates, and therefore she is now not allowed to use lodging. What Matt Walsh said that the Joe Rogan story is really disturbing. This one is worse. And the Joe Rogan story, of course, is about podcast rights. Michelle Malkin is just trying to use facilities that are available to every average ordinary American with a credit card uh, who wants to reserve a, a living space for or, or, or I should say a lodging space for a short period of time. And now she's not allowed. Peter, take it. Yeah, you know, Job, there's absolutely a lot to say about this. We couldn't cover it all in, say, four hours, let alone the amount of time we have here. I'll just make it pretty brief. Um, There may be some legal implications to this, but I'll, I'll put that aside. What's disturbing is that, you know, we as Americans, uh, and more particularly as conservatives, 
very often we say, well, private entities can make their own determinations as to with whom they're going to do business, et cetera, et cetera. And there are, there are certain restrictions, restrictions on that, of course. You can't discriminate, for example, for racial reasons or any other type of protected class, et cetera. Um, but this goes beyond that. It's un-American in a host of ways. Maybe not unlawful, okay, but it's un-American. When you have monopoly power, when you have large companies deciding to go woke and depriving people of the ability to engage in commerce, engage in business, do things that others are for political reasons, that is thematically un-American. Whether or not it's unlawful or not, whether or not it's against the Constitution, we should be opposed to it. Now, most of us, or many conservatives, I'll say, I'll speak for myself, uh, are reluctant to engage in boycotts. I'm probably less reluctant than others. I think sometimes you pick and choose. And sometimes it's not boycott in the traditional sense of the word, but it's kind of striking back at what is already being a boycott foisted upon ordinary Americans and, more importantly, productive Americans and conservative Americans and patriotic Americans. And many of these same companies have abysmal records when it comes to support for regimes and entities and people who have human rights abuses and other, other types of, of issues. And they always go in one direction, don't they, Bob? It seems like every time you hear about some banning by some tech platform or Airbnb or uh, GoFundMe or whatever it may be, it always goes in a leftist direction. It's always going against the right, and frankly, going against ordinary people, not the elites. And, and I think, you know, I'm personally, you know, I'm not, uh, I mean, my family has used Airbnb in the past. It's not going to happen anymore. It's just simply not going to happen. And uh, I'm not going to take any great action. I mean, I'm not going to take any overt action against them. I have very little leverage or anything, but I'm going to exercise my option in the ways that are available to me. And Michelle Malkin is uh, one of our warriors. And by that I mean she doesn't stay within the lines that the left draws for obedient conservatives. Now, understand me when I say obedient conservatives. I'm not trying to deprecate people who are conservative, but we do know, and we've seen it highlighted over the last, say, four to five years, especially during the Trump era, that there are conservatives who... Um, Look, a lot of these people are good conservatives, but they like to color between the lines, and they hope to, and, and they don't mind being patted on the head by the left as being good and obedient conservatives. Then there are the rest of us, and, and that rest of us is growing and growing more aggressive and more vocal because we've been spat upon and stomped upon and disregarded, even by our own purported Republican allies in many cases, so many times over so many decades, and we know that we're at a crisis point. Just as our friend Larry Elder says, we've got a country to save. We're at a point now where we can't be turning the other cheek. And I, look, I don't mean to say that in aggressive fashion, but you yeah. know what I mean, and your audience well knows what I mean, because they're, they experience this stuff every day. One of the reasons why Trump has such a loyal following is he was the first president in my lifetime. If people can talk about Reagan, Reagan operated with a certain degree of decorum, but nobody punched back like Trump, and that's, I believe, one of the biggest reasons why that so alarmed the left. They were like, holy smokes, if this starts to spread, we're doomed. Trump is showing the way. But again, 
Michelle Malkin is one of those folks. She predated Trump. She was one of those folks that didn't turn the other cheek. She spoke out, and when she saw things, I still remember, uh, you know, I've, I have not a lot of interaction with Michelle and did so uh, um, a long time ago more, more often. Mm-hmm. But Michelle was one of our first warriors when it came to illegal immigration. Remember when she wrote her book, Invasion? It was a long time ago. Yeah. And most people didn't even realize this was going on the southern border, and it was not anywhere near the scale it is now. So she's a very inconvenient and articulate and fearless conservative for the left. And they've got to do whatever they can to suppress her. Yeah, um, you know, and, it, and it's pretty remarkable. And I, I want to give you, this is from an article that she wrote um, describing her experience and her plans on how to counter it and to deal with it. <clears throat> She wrote that this is what she received. My name's Cedar, and I'm with Airbnb's trust team. The November 2421 email began. Uh, oh, I didn't realize that it was three months old. Um, it has come to our attention that you were a keynote speaker for the 2021 American Renaissance Conference earlier this month in Tennessee. Airbnb's community policies prohibit people who are members of or actively associate with known hate groups due to your promotion and participation in, in a known white nationalist and white supremacist conference, we have determined that we will remove your account from Airbnb. This is consistent with action we've taken to ban people associated with the conference in past years. And Pete, what that line says to me, and this is important, is that once again, Asian people are used however the left needs to use them. When they need them to be minorities, such as victims of white supremacy and white supremacist attacks, Asians are counted with blacks and Hispanics and other ethnic and racial minorities. But when they, for example, in Michelle Malkin's case, actually is speaking at a conference that the SPLC deems to be white supremacist in nature, suddenly she's a white Asian woman uh, or an Asian white woman, whatever you want to say. But how can an Asian woman who is by definition an ethnic minority, a racial minority in the United States of America, be a part of white supremacy? Bob, that's, that's an excellent point that you've made there. First, let me address one thing. The SPLC, for your listeners, and I think many of your listeners know this, but uh, a lot don't. The SPLC has been regularly trotted out for the last, oh, 40 years, but more recently in the last 15 years. A lot of people have caught up and gotten wise to them. But whenever somebody wants to go after somebody, they trot out the SPLC's ratings as to whether or not something is some kind of a racist group. Now, 50, 60 years ago, the SPLC had a very good genealogy. I mean, it was, it was a legitimate organization that did some good. Uh, but I just encourage your listeners to read up about the SPLC. I do not consider any of their rankings to be worthy of anything at this point, and a lot of organizations conveniently use them to smear people. It happens over and over and over again. In fact, when I see somebody smeared by, or somebody who is considered to be a so-called white supremacist by the SPLC, even including Asian Michelle Malkin, or not even including Michelle Malkin, I automatically assume that this is one of the greatest people on the hist- in, in the face of the earth. And I really mean that. I mean, they, they, I know. the best people in the world are smeared by them. It's almost a joke at this point. It's comical. I think most people have caught on to that. But uh, you're, you're right in terms of Asians are both the convenient and inconvenient minority. They confound the left whenever they talk about, you know, discrimination in America and how people are being left behind. Because Asians 
beat everybody. They get into Harvard with, you know, at, at, at rates if they were not being discriminated against. And by the way, I encourage everybody to read my brief before the Supreme Court in the case of S. Students for Fair Admissions against Harvard. I mean, they're discriminated against, as we've talked about, in a profound way, not just at Harvard, but all over the country. And they, they perform spectacularly well on academic tests. They out-earn whites and everybody else. And, and yet, uh, you know, the, the left doesn't know what to do with them because purportedly they're being discriminated against because they're non-white. I mean, the, the horrific white supremacist America is going to subjugate them, right? But no, they're doing better than everybody else. And, and because of them, they're so embarrassing and inconvenient to the left that they try to ignore them, or in this case, equate them with white supremacists. The mental gymnastics the left goes through in order to justify their putrid ideology is something that should immediately be apparent to everybody and we should cast aside as being nonsense at bare minimum. Yeah, it, it, is, uh, it is insane. Very well said, Pete. And what they're doing again to her husband saying, you can't use our services either, is just, um, you know, it's, it's, it's another bridge that is, that is even farther uh, or more too far, however you want to, to phrase that. Cancel culture, she says, has reached a new escalation, and I do not plan on rolling over. She correctly points out she has raised hundreds of thousands of dollars for other patriots and heroes and causes over the last 30 years, and now she's asking readers, viewers, and supporters for help in fighting this battle on her behalf and her family's behalf, and she's got a Fundly.com account. Of course, never use GoFundMe, Fundly.com slash Michelle Fights Airbnb to join that cause. It's a time for choosing defiance over compliance, and I'm happy to share that site and share that cause because I think people should get behind it. We're going to try to have Michelle on as soon as we possibly can to talk more in depth about this, but it is just incredible how she's being treated and used by this woke company, which apparently really started flipping in this direction according to her research back in 2016, when they started banning people who had ideological differences with their own owners and shareholders' um, viewpoints. People hey, take time a little out. anecdote. Yep. Uh, one, one brief anecdote. Many of us are, are old enough to remember not being able to go to certain places as back in the 50s, maybe even early 60s, when uh, you couldn't find so-called you know, a room at the inn because of your race. You couldn't travel to certain places because you wouldn't be able to find, you know, if you're on an interstate, you wouldn't be able to find places that would rent to blacks and, and other minorities. And here we have Airbnb reprising an essence of that 50 years later. There it is. That's exactly what they're doing. Peter Kirsten, how well said. As always, thank you for that history reminder. We'll take a quick time out here. We'll continue. It's a Tuesday. That means it's Kirsten our day in the second hour of the program. Pete returns right after this with me on AM 14 Point of the Answer. When you need real news, write meow. All right, meow. And nobody license and registration. Turn to Always Right. Hurry up, meow. With Bob France. No buts, meow. On AM four twenty. All right, meow. Where were we? The answer. Always right, indeed, right here on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. We continue now with Peter Kersenow for a few more minutes before the bottom. Pete's going to be with us for the entirety of the. Uh, of the second hour of the broadcast. Pete, I, I wanted to remind everybody before I ask you about this next story, uh, if uh, you know, if people remember what Joe Biden said in an interview with a radio broadcaster by the name of Charlemagne the God. Gee, nothing, uh, 
<laughs> nothing narcissistic about that at all. But anyway, he was doing the interview with uh, with Charlemagne, I believe it was, and uh, Charlemagne was giving him a little good, a good bit of good back and forth, you know, about whether or not um, you know Joe Biden should be you know taking the black vote for granted, uh, talking about whether or not he has plans to do enough for black people. I think Charlemagne even talked about how uh, under Donald Trump, uh, blacks made a lot of great gains and advances for this reason or that reason, and Joe Biden snapped back at him. Let me tell you, if you don't vote for me, then you ain't black. Talk about taking the black vote for granted, but you ain't black if you don't vote Democrat. Well, that brings me to this story of an assemblyman, a a representative, state representative in the Virginia General Assembly, an African-American Republican uh, named Ajalon Cordoza, if I'm saying his name correctly, and if I'm not, I apologize. This man wanted to join the Congressional Black Caucus, the state representative or, or assembly black caucus. He was rejected, and in being rejected, he was told from the caucus that he couldn't join it because he was not black enough. Not black enough. Defining what black is by liberal criteria, he said, is frankly wrong and disgusting. It was a spit in the face to say to me that I'm not black enough to be in the black caucus. Pete, as a black man, how do you, hear, how do you uh, react to these things? Yeah, well, those guys probably think Karl Marx and Joseph Stalin are black enough, apparently. You know, Um, the left for a long time has required blacks to stay on the intellectual plantation. You're not allowed to think for yourself. You only have to. Th- you can only think in prescribed ways. If, if we had a lot of time to talk about this, we could go into so many different avenues of why this is not only just insulting and condescending, but horrifically dangerous. All you have to do is. Thinking a certain way, like a Democrat, for example, look at all the major Democrat-controlled cities. They've been controlled by Democrats for 50, 60, 70 years. We discussed before, Detroit has been a Democratic city since 1954 was the last time they had a Republican mayor. And in 1954, it was the wealthiest city, not in the United States just, but in the world. Look at it now. All due respect to Detroit, which is coming back a little bit, it is it is ridiculous how it's descended. Look at Baltimore, look at Chicago, look at all these places that have an uninterrupted Democratic rule, and the lives of blacks in those places are horrific. So you have to stay on this intellectual plantation, and they will hunt you down and try to destroy you much in the same fashion as if you escaped from from the plantation 150 years ago. You cannot be allowed to go out there and speak heresy because some other blacks might hear it and go, you know what, that makes a lot more sense than what I'm hearing from these Democratic politicians, such as D defund the police. We don't want to defund the police. We need the police in our neighborhoods. But the Democrats don't allow you to say that and to ban somebody like this from the Congress. First of all, I'm, I'm not one to be wanting to join a, a caucus or anything else based on race. But nonetheless, if you call yourself and you've called yourself the Congressional or the State Black Caucus, it seems to me the only qualification is skin pigmentation. And how ridiculous that is, however, it, it, you can't be banning somebody solely because they don't have the same mindset as you do. Otherwise, you're just nothing but an automaton, a robot. And that's precisely what they are, and that's what the Democrats expect of black politicians, but more importantly, black voters. You know, I'm I'm glad to hear you say that, Pete. And and take it a little bit further, just with the existence of these black-only organizations. Isn't the Black Congressional Caucus, or the Congressional Black Caucus, rather, isn't things like the Black Shield part of the police union? Aren't those things essentially self-segregation? I thought we were opposed to segregation. I thought we were all supposed to be together. We're all one police union. We're all one congressional body. Why are we, you know, self-segregating? Intentionally self-segregating based on race. 
again, I'm old enough to remember those days when that was the only way of having a collegial environment, of having a club, of having an organization of similar interests, because you were excluded from white organizations, or, or the barriers to entry were high enough that, you know, you decided, let's, let's have our own organization. Um, last time I looked, I'm looking at my computer right now, it's 2022. Maybe I'm mistaken, okay? Uh, <laughs> I, it, may, it may be 1922, but I, I really believe that the time for these types of organizations if they were justified in the past, or if they made good sense. And to the extent there may be nothing more than clubs or something. I mean, I really don't care how people associate. Freedom of association, okay? I think that's an American ideal. But, the, but have to remember, freedom of association, when it's compromised by race, is something you should take into real consideration, even if it's a voluntary uh, association. And, again, what is the purpose for a congressional black caucus when everybody thinks in monotone, and not just looks monotone. They mm-hmm. think in monotone. How does that advance any type of cause? If it's simply a recreational organization, do whatever you want to. Fine. But, but this stuff is just what they're doing now is engaging in wholesale kind of uh, a gymnastics type of discrimination where they're discriminating against blacks. And they probably would allow certain whites to be honorary members if they thought the right way. If they saw, thought the right way, well said. That's exactly right. But here's a real, honest to goodness, black man, an African American, who's conservative, and he will not be welcome under any uh, circumstances whatsoever. It's unbelievable. All right, Pete, you brought up Marxism, or excuse me, you brought up Marx and Stalin. So Marxism, communism together. We're going to talk about that because there's one particular member of the Democrat Caucus in the uh, U.S. House of Representative who, Representatives who believes that capitalism is not a redeemable um, system in the United States of America. So I'm assuming that means she prefers either Marxism or communism or some form thereof. I'm going to get your reaction to that as we continue with Kirsten Al right after this on AM 1420, The Answer. I see the stars come out of the sky. Yeah, the bright and hollow sky. You know, it looks so good. Onward, we roll on this Tuesday edition of Always Right. Appreciate you being here. And uh, another guy who is always right, literally, I have not seen him be wrong yet, is my friend Peter Kersenow, who is back with us uh, to continue. Pete, you, you mentioned kind of just in passing Stalin and uh, and Marx, which bring to mind, uh, you know, communism, uh, Marxism, and all of the unholy versions of that type of system. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez sometimes referred to as Alexandria Damasio-Cortez, by yours truly, has decided that capitalism is the real concern in the United States, not impending socialism, nor Marxism, nor full-on communism. But she said that capitalism is not a redeemable system for the vast majority of the people in the United States. Now, this is only in a statement. There's no video, so I'm going to read it to you and get your reaction to this. I believe that in a broad sense, because when we toss out these big words, capitalism, socialism, they get sensationalized. This is what she said to Yahoo. Um, and people translate them into uh, meaning, translate them into meaning things that perhaps they don't mean. So to me, capitalism at its core, what we're talking about when we talk about that is the absolute pursuit of profit at all human, environmental, and social cost. That is what we're really discussing. They can control our labor, they can control massive markets that they dictate and can capture governments, and they can essentially have power over the many. And to me, that is not a redeemable system for us to be able to participate in for the prosperity and peace for the vast majority of people. Now, Pete, that's end quote. Uh, 
that this this woman somehow finagled a degree from Boston University with apparently not being able to understand a single thing about any of those economic and or uh, uh, cultural um, um, what are we calling them ideologies I suppose. Uh, but Pete, she she seems to really prefer uh, huge government control over every little aspect of people's lives, uh, uh, rather than opportunity for anyone to achieve and earn and grow uh, wealth and grow power and grow success, depending on what uh, whatever their their drive is in a capitalist system. What say you, Pete? Yeah, and, and Bob, this is not her first. It's, in fact, it's not even her twenty first criticism of capitalism. She really doesn't like capitalism. You know, have you ever seen AOC and Newt Gingrich in the same room together? Because right. I swear, I, you, as they say, if she didn't exist, Republicans would have to invent her. She is the gift that keeps on giving for Republicans. Every time she opens her mouth, she gets the Republicans another 10,000 votes. Everything she says, virtually everything, think about it, every time you hear her speak, some inanity comes out of her mouth. I, I, I apologize for you know b- being so disparaging of her, but she brings it upon herself. She talks about the social costs and, and all kinds of other costs. Maybe she missed out on the costs of socialism. Like, let's try at Bears, uh, just for starters, over 100 million people dead as the direct result of socialism communism a hundred million people it's not a small number maybe it doesn't concern her or maybe she missed it in her history books but it's there then you talk about the um uh, the market costs of it well in socialism if she has a problem with the united states as it looks right now under biden as bad as it is go to any socialist country in the world I mean a true socialist country. Let's look at Venezuela, which was the second richest nation in the Western Hemisphere until Hugo Chavez imposed socialism for just a couple of years, and it turned into a giant basket case. Look at the Soviet Union, by land mass three times bigger than the United States of America, yet with an economy only slightly bigger than Portugal's. Those are the residual effects of communism over 30 years later, and continued malpractice related to socialism. I mean, it, it, this just defies logic, but this is what the AOCs of the world hear and know because it's taught in our colleges. We've permitted it, and by permit, I mean you can teach anything you want to, but we haven't adequately presented the counter to this and, and, and shown people how nutty this is. It is sheer insanity, yet we have a significant cohort in the United States of America, including in our elite classes, that thinks socialism is a good thing. Bob, I went to my grocery store uh, Fridays, as I usually do, because I get the heavy items for, for my, that my wife can't handle. And I go in there and buy the same things all the time. And you've seen the inflation over the last six months. I've oh, yeah. seen it. But, but for the first time the last few weeks, I have seen not completely empty shelves, but bare shelves in certain areas. Um, you know, I always get my dog food there. I couldn't find dog food, couldn't find Gatorade, couldn't find a whole host of items. Stunning. I am an old man now by most standards, and I can't remember a time like this. But you know what? Go to any socialist country, and it's a recurring item. Maybe she doesn't travel as much. You know, I'm happy to spring for a ticket for her so she could go to Cuba or maybe even go to, I have a friend who has come from Romania recently, 
and tell me about what's going on, has had been going on with me. Go to some of these places, visit these paradises that you think are so much better than the United States you, uh, of America. You go ahead and spring for that ticket, but it better be one way. <laughs> I don't need a round trip. Pete, Pete, everything Thought you're saying is right. Find her way back anyway. Pete, every everything you're saying is right. My wife has been t- talking to me for the last six weeks. Every Saturday when she goes grocery shopping, and by the way, you're a sexist for assuming your wife can't handle the heavy stuff. Uh, but my wife tells me uh, the shelves are empty. Shelves are. I went a couple of times with her, including this weekend because we were out of town, so we went together on 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 Sunday yesterday or two days ago. And um, uh, yeah, I mean, literally the entire dairy section at a local grocery store where we shop in Lorain County was empty. There was not a gallon of milk to be found except for one of those organic ones that costs like six bucks a gallon, which I wouldn't touch anyway. And I thought to myself, I didn't think that. So I said it to my wife. I said, this is Biden's America. This is the kind of thing that they are used to seeing. Now, this wasn't in preparation for this conversation, but I literally said, this is the kind of thing they're used to seeing in third world countries or in socialist countries like Venezuela. You said, you, you said Cuba, you could say Venezuela, you could say North Korea, you could say the Soviet Union, you could say China. Even though China has, you know, is a massive economic power, uh, the people don't share in that. The average um, uh, income or per capita income in China is around $17,000, but that's only for a select few. The I read this in the Epic Times a couple of days ago. The average income for at least 1 billion Chinese citizens is a few dollars per day. That's what yeah. communism does to people. A week. Yeah, yep. so Pete, I wonder... I wonder how those people feel, you know, with the with the statement that capitalism is not a redeemable system for most Americans. I wonder if they would like to yeah. be redeemed in uh, in China and in some of these right. other countries. They definitely. You talk to anybody. I, you know, I talk to so many people. So many of my friends are from Eastern Europe or you know Cuba, China. You name it. And when they come here, they will tell you what it's like. With no uncertain terms, and they are the biggest opponents. With, and they're slack-jawed when they listen to an AOC. They can't, they can't believe somebody is that insipid, that stupid, yeah. and has risen to these levels, which does not augur well for the United States of America, by the way. But talk to people who have had experience with it. That's all you have to do. Talk to Russian immigrants, Romanian immigrants, Polish immigrants. Talk to people who are, you know, like the you know, Vietnam boat boat people, Koreans, so on and so forth, who have direct experience, not just with the economic depredations, but the deprivation of freedom and of your very life. Again, 100 million and counting people directly uh, directly killed mm-hmm. by socialism slash communism. AOC and, is going to have to explain how that is a better system than what we have in the greatest nation in the history of the world. That would allow somebody, she has to just thank her lucky stars that somebody with a room temperature IQ can ascend to be a representative of the United States of America. Yeah, you know, Pete, it's, uh, it's a remarkable thing, just to wrap this, uh, you know, this is the only country on the face of the planet where other people representing at least 150 other countries are trying to get to our southern border to cross it illegally to get here. Right. And this is a country that is not rooted in socialism, nor communism, nor Marxism. It is rooted in capitalism, the irredeemable system that she lambastes so uh, so uh, ignorantly. Pete, I want to stay since I brought up China. And brought up the, what the people there are going through. Um, the Olympics are underway, as you know. Maybe you're watching them, maybe you're not. I'm hoping you're not. Um, because we shouldn't be there. Uh, and, and it is an embarrassment that we are. I want to read again from the Epic Times from just a couple of days ago. Under Xi Jinping's di- direction, the CCP has ordered and sanctioned torture, 
as, as a standard a standard operating procedure in its Xinjiang, and I hope I'm saying that correctly, concentration camps. Camp policy includes violent and life-threatening physical and mental torture, cruel and unusual medical experimentation on a Nazi scale, forced sterilization, and mass executions. The Chinese regime is now running the 21st century version of Auschwitz, complete with its own versions of Dr. Joseph Mengele, torture chambers, surgical mutilation clinics, killing fields, and more. Adding a wicked twist to the dark practices, the CCP is harvesting human organs from not only the Uyghurs, but from peaceful Falun Gong practitioners as well, selling the forcibly obtained organs in a very profitable market. In short, China is committing massive human rights abuses and even genocide. Peter... I talked about this on Monday. Um, just want to get your your thoughts on it. Put it in your words. After the Holocaust and the eradication of two thirds of the Jewish population of Europe, um, after the the horrific genocide against the Jewish people, freedom loving people across the world, and especially here in the United States, all joined in the mantra: "Never again! Never again!" And while this isn't involving the Jewish people, this time it's involving 2 million out of roughly 12 million Uyghur Muslims in China, it's happening again. We're allowing it to happen again. And us going to the Olympics is like us going to the Olympics if they had been held in 1940 in Berlin as opposed to 1936 before it all started. That's what literally we're doing right now. We're legitimizing China, which is committing a 21st century version of the Holocaust. Go ahead. Well, well said, Bob. I'm not sure I could add much more to that. I mean, the fact of the matter is, you're right. To, to we have now, as opposed to when we went to the Olympics in Germany in 1936. Uh, in 1936, we we yet to have Kristallnacht, for example, a program against the Jews. Jews were discriminated against, you know, and pretty badly in 1936. But we didn't have the concentration camps yet. It it didn't portend. No one could, I, I think, even imagine that what transpired a few years later, would actually happen. But now we have seen the example of the Holocaust. We have that example now, and yet here we are, repeating it, which makes it arguably more unforgivable than our participation in the 1936 Olympics, which a lot of people had encouraged the United States to boycott. But now we've got that example, plus we have so much information about the depredations of the Chinese government, which you just recited. Now we just add a few. You mentioned the Falun Gong and others. Minority and mainly Christian religious groups there have their organs harvested organs harvested yes you're right they're sterilized those that that are with child are aborted they are repeatedly raped and tortured forced to work in places that benefit the nikes and and others of the world our athletes remain completely silent and i would also say one thing that one of the most despicable things this is saying something one of the most despicable things I've ever seen an American politician do or say occurred last week when Nancy Pelosi admonished American athletes to basically yeah. remain silent in the face of what they see in China. Our American politicians are telling our athletes to remain silent in the face of this horror. Incredible. How despicable is that? And where and- are every one of our Republicans should have been yelling and screaming about that on the floor of the house before every television camera and radio microphone they could. I, I can't conceive of anything more horrific, more despicable than what Nancy Pelosi said. 
I haven't watched a minute of the Olympics. I'm not big on boycotts or anything, and I'm not real big on the, the Winter Olympics, although, post all the, you know, look, I'm a sports guy, just like you are, Bob. Sure. I don't tune into almost any kind of competition. If there are two worms that are racing, I'm going to watch. But I'm, I'm not going to deign to give one second to this genocide Olympics. And the fact that these major corporations are willingly going out there and repressing ads like you probably saw, I know you did, Bob, Ennis Freedom Cantor's ad, or even Ennis Cantor Freedom's ad, along with Mike Waltz, former Green Beret, who put out an ad, wanted to run it, and NBC rejected it, where it just set forth the facts about China. Look at how all of our politicians, so many of our politicians, are in the grasp of the Chinese government. Not only did they do all the bad things that you just listed with respect to their own people, they have stolen trillions, not with a, not with a B, with a TR, trillions of dollars worth of intellectual property, including military technology from the United States of America, to the extent we haven't willingly given it to them, like Bill Clinton did. I mean, my goodness, this is ridiculous. We are selling America out to the most repressive current regime in the world, and they are moving at at an astonishing uh, pace to replace us and we're remember when uh, and i'm going to forget the, the appropriate phrasing and i apologize to everybody but when khrushchev said you know you will sell the rope um uh, or uh, that you'll hang us with or hang you with we are giving them all of the tools they need to supplant us and suppress us and we and we're having our elites do it willingly this is an abomination and the, the fact that the ioc had over a hundred other countries it could have gone to to stage an Olympics, but with their eyes open, seeing the atrocities that are occurring, they chose to put it here. Tells us a lot about what our worldwide elite are all not, about these days. Not only did they do that, Pete, they did so pretty much in violation of their own standards. Because I saw a report a few days ago, and I believe it was Oslo that um, was a finalist along with Beijing for these Winter Olympics, and they had 16 benchmarks that the, um, uh, that the, the competing, country, or, uh, competing cities and countries to hold the Olympics are judged by. And, and Oslo was favored in 14 out of the 16, according to the IOC's own measurements, whatever they may be, I, can, I can't quote them, but 14 out of the 16, and yet it went to Beijing anyway. Somebody's going to have to explain why that is. Pete, we'll take a time out here. I've got one more quick sports story for you on the other side as we wrap this up. The Super Bowl's a few days away, and the NFL is in trouble. I'll get your reaction to that as we wrap it right after this. Right back to wrap it up with Kirsten now on AM 1420, The Answer on this Tuesday. Pete, the Super Bowl's a few days away, and unfortunately the NFL is dealing with things that have nothing to do with the big game. Brian Flores, minority coach of the Miami Dolphins, was one of those fired. Uh, after a few other firings, there was only one black coach left in the NFL in this cycle as before uh, new hires were made. Brian Flores subsequently has sued the NFL for racial discrimination, saying not only should he have not been fired, but that he wasn't getting real honest looks from other teams, uh, particularly after Bill Belichick sent him a text message saying, hey, Brian, congrats on the Giants. And he said, what do you mean? He said, I hear you're their guy. Come to find out, Bill Belichick thought he was uh, text messaging Brian Dable, who was indeed hired by the Giants, and that Brian Flores was being interviewed by them the next day. 
after, as such, Brian Flores knew that the interview was a sham and it was being done just to meet the Rooney Rule requirements of everybody having to interview at least one minority candidate for their vacant head coaching or GM jobs. So, Pete, is there racism in the hiring process in the NFL? I'm sorry to say you've only got 90 seconds to answer. Well, you know, I don't know if there is. Um, you know, I don't know if there's actionable racism in the NFL. I do know this much, that the NFL has, as you mentioned, the Rooney Rule that requires each NFL team to interview a minority candidate for not just uh, a head coach, but I think it's being extended this year to offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator. You must interview these folks. Now, do they sometimes go through the motions or go through a sham? I don't know. I, you know we'll, to, we'll see what the uh, evidence shows. I do know this, that uh, Flores had a below 500 record, although I have to say this, Bob, I will tell you, one of the best games I saw this year was, I think it was Miami versus the Ravens, and the Ravens, who uh, you know were pretty dominant up to that point, were dismantled in one of the best coaching jobs I'd seen from Miami. But that's one game. That's that's one game, and coaches get fired all over the place. I'm not, exactly. you know, I'm not defending the NFL. I'm not uh, justifying Flores or anything else like that. All I know is the NFL is one of the toughest environments in which to compete. It really is. And if you win, you're going to be there. They don't care if you're green, red, anything else. They want to win above all else, baby. To put to kind of paraphrase Al Davis. So that. we'll see how it goes. But I'll say this: I've got a lot more to say about the Rooney Rule and some of these other rules that. Corporations are using that have a reserved spot for quote unquote minority candidates, and that has a whole host of issues, legal and otherwise, that go that's along right. with it. Yeah, that's right. It's exactly right. It's uh, it's kind of affirmative action, and unfortunately, there's going to be a lot of token interviews given simply to meet a rule. And there are a lot of black coaches who are very offended by being given token interviews to meet a rule requirement, and I don't blame them for that. But you know what? The NFL made its woke bed. They can lie in it. And whatever bad happens yep. to them, I think they absolutely deserve. That's all the time we got. Peter Kirsten, now thank you, my friend. Thanks, Bob. Thanks to everybody for listening, being a part of the show. We'll see you tomorrow. Everybody, remember, say it with me now. Let's go, Brandon. Silence.